This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. What's the focus on BFM 89.9, The Business Station? BFM 89.9, am You are listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar and Philip C. This is WTF, or What's the Focus? Our weekly roundup show of the top stories that we've been talking about the, for the past seven days, as well as other news tidbits that you may have missed. Let's get let's just jump right into it, right? And uh, we'll we're starting off with um I guess our the our favorite person or the favorite person we like to least not least favorite for me. <laughs> least favorite uh Elon Musk. Elon Musk had a slice of humble pie this week when he found himself at the wrong end of a Twitter argument with an employee at the firm. So, here's the story. We have one dude named Hallie Thorleifson. He tweeted Elon Musk to ask him about his employment status because as we know Twitter has been going through a series of layoffs uh, yep. one after another and Hallie Thorlibson wasn't sure whether he was still employed or not the HR head couldn't tell him whether he had a job so he tweeted Musk and what followed was this really weird Q&A where Musk was interrogating Hallie about what he did at the company etc cetera, etc cetera. not too long after that um, Hallie received an email confirming that he had been fired this was then followed with um a tweet or several tweets uh, by Musk uh, disparaging Hallie Thorlifson or attempting to say that the, the firing was justified because he wasn't performing. Uh, but uh, he didn't seem to realize that uh, Hallie Thorlifson was very well known and very well regarded in the tech and disabled community space. He does have muscular dystrophy and is in a wheelchair. Um, so that uh, really started a snowball of reactions from yeah. Twitter responders. Uh, later on, Musk actually apologized to Hallie and also seemed to offer for him his job back. I mean, this story is wrong on so many levels in my view. I mean, regardless of whether he was disabled, I think the whole way everything was conducted was wrong. Firstly, as an employee, you shouldn't be asking your boss in public whether you got fired. You shouldn't have to ask You shouldn't manner, have to right? ask, but you shouldn't also ask in the first place. In the first place. Of course, we understand tweet Elon with his weird idiosyncrasies and how he's rude and doesn't kind of respect people's boundaries and why that whole communication disparaging. Somehow he gets away with it, though. That's the interesting thing, right? We we, we poo-poo him, we lambast him, public media shames him, but he doesn't feel faced by whole this whole process. Of course, he does apologize in the end later, but I feel that this story is wrong on so many levels. Firstly, why is there no system in terms of how they engage employees, about their, whether they're out or in the system? Why does the employee uh, have to engage publicly about this? And why does the boss need to embarrass people in the process? For I me, it's so disconcerting. It does point to some sort of dysfunction within Twitter that um, yeah. I, a lot of answers cannot be cannot be gotten at another at the HR level, for example, yeah? And I think also it's important to note how this story, for me at least, highlights the prejudice that disabled people face at the uh, way... Elon Musk spoke about Hallie Thorleifson, um, citing about how, oh, this guy doesn't even do his work. He's on the phone. He can type long Twitter texts, but he uh, can't uh, work on a computer for long hours. So just the um, the disparagement and kind of the negative assumptions that yeah. Musk had for someone with a disability, uh, that was really disheartening. And that just, um, it, it kind of shows the, the negative perceptions that the disabled community need to deal with. That's so right. I think it does shed a light on that. Um, and Power Dynamics, 
dynamics as well, I guess, given the fact that you mentioned, uh, Phil, and you weren't happy with the fact that this took place on Twitter. And it had to be someone like Hallie who had a platform, uh, already a built platform, um, that could get Musk's attention and also get the attention of the rest of the world. There's so many other people out there who do face these kinds of situations, but they don't get the attention because they don't have that clout. It's true. They don't have that platform that Hallie had, has, I think. That's what I think perhaps made this case interesting. How many people have been shunned? How many people have been neglected throughout this whole process? But it's also not been a very good week for Elon as a whole. If you see Tesla, uh, his other companies, across the multiple companies he owns, they've all been reducing prices for many of their car models. And you see actually the share price also under a lot of pressure. I mean, it did extremely well, I think, uh, second, first half of last year, you know, at its peak at nearly $390, nearly $400. It plummeted to close to nearly $120 uh, in January. It did recover quite a bit nicely, up to $200 uh, in early March. But since then, it's fallen a bit as you see some pricing pressure over its models. And there are questions about whether his attention is just split between too many companies. It's not just Twitter. He also has the Boring Company. He has Neuralink. Um, and, you know, is that causing Tesla to suffer? Yeah. So, uh, like it or not, we are going to be continuing to talk about him moving forward. But let's turn our attention to uh, some big events happening over the weekend. It is Oscars yes. weekend. Are you rooting for Michelle Yeoh? Of course. Who wouldn't? Of course, right? Although Kate Blanchett, I would also not be disappointed if she did not win. I have enormous respect for her. I yes. think she's a fantastic actress. Um, but uh, as is uh, as is the case whenever Oscars come around, uh, talks about diversity, talks about uh, whether the Oscars should be political. This is all par for course. And I think we do have uh, a bubbling controversy on that front uh, for this Oscar season as well. That's right. Uh, it's related to Star Wars actor Donnie Yen, right? Because he apparently has ties with Communist Party, with China's Communist Party. And he is about to, I think, be one of the presenters at the ceremony. So they, he has been garnering thousands of signatures for Oscar to remove him as one of the presenters. So there was a petition started by a Hong Kong activist. Um, and they're not happy with comments that he made um, over time, but also fairly recently. He had an interview with GQ, I believe, yep. in which he called the Hong Kong protest in 2019. He described it as a riot. Um, and uh, really, I guess he's not for um, those democratic protests that took place. And that has caused a lot of people to um, be upset that he is given a platform like the Oscars uh, to present. But that's the point, right? I mean, you expect the Academy Awards Oscars to be political, but you must allow all forms of freedom of speech, isn't it? So I feel Donnie, and this is his perspective, he wants to share his perspective, the Academy and Oscars should allow him to speak, no? Uh, present? I guess, I, 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 yeah, I... I I don't know how to I don't know how to I guess brain this situation yeah. I because I understand the concern about giving um, those with uh, pers- with harmful perspectives a platform but again there is that First Amendment and the freedom of speech, speech. and the uh, uh, the need to I guess let all perspectives be heard as right. well um, it's it's complicated and it makes. Uh, the Oscar is a complicated uh, forum because you have this, because actors and um, people in the industry have such huge platforms. And so we want to encourage diversity of thought, diversity in uh, gender, race, and so on and so forth. And if you recall, just a couple of years ago, there was so much controversy about Oscars so white, that all the nominees were mostly white. But they made huge progress if you look at the nominees this year. Definitely. And I think Michelle Yeoh has been using that um, to kind of lobby uh, for a potential win at the Oscars. Uh, 
apparently she did put up an Instagram post that seemed that highlighted the fact that there haven't been any uh, women of color to win the Best Actress Award since Haley Berry. Um, and, uh, you know, making that point on, on her Instagram. I actually really like the fact that she's not ashamed to promote that she wants to win. You know, many, many people, when you when they go up to the stage, they are like, oh, I'm, it's an honor I'm to honored be nominated. and hurt, humbled and all that. <laughs> she wants to win it. She's going for the kill, right? Even Jamie Lee Curtis, when she won her SAG, SAG the girl, she went up and was very proud she, that she made progress. There was no this, oh, I don't really deserve it, that kind of thing. These people actually are fighting hard to win. And I find that very refreshing. <laughs> and really, uh, I, I think that's a positive trend in my view. And I think it would be, um, if she does win, it would be so well, it would be such a boost, um, I think, to the Asian uh, arts community. And, and, to, and you can be sure that Malaysia will also want to, uh, I guess, uh, tag on the bandwagon, right? A win for Ipo. <laughs> Let us uh, f- look at this other story very quickly. And this is regarding um, Toblerone. So for you chocolate lovers out there, you may see your Toblerone bar looking different in the future. Toblerone is set to remove that distinctive Matterhorn mountain peak from its packaging when um, some of the chocolate's production is moved from Switzerland to Slovakia. So this was something new that I learned this year uh, regarding a special law, uh, a Swiss, uh, something about Swissness um, that's applied since 2017. It's very interesting because the Swiss have so many elements that people associate with. It's very identifiable, you know, the mountains, efficiency, it's clocks, it's chocolates and so on and so forth. And if you always, we always joke that when Shining comes back from a holiday, she always gives us Toblerone. So I'm very keen to see what the shape of the Toblerone is this time, what the back picture is. But it comes back to, I think, food being linked to your national identity and in this case here Swiss chocolates the Toblerone mountains links to that so when the production is done in a different place which is what it's what globalization is all about how do you tear apart the national identity then right or how do you preserve it right which is That's why right. we see so many um, debates about for example where certain cheeses are from who can use the term gruyere who can use the term gouda or, or things like champagne you know can or chicken rice or chicken rice <laughs> <laughs> maybe somebody should try should to tell the people our neighbors down south that actually they don't own chicken rice. Or they should call it Singapore chicken rice to distinguish it from Ipo chicken rice or Hainanese chicken rice or you know. What's our laksa? Or, laksa for example. We could go on and on. Food is such an emotive topic here but it's 9.46am. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back with more stories from this week. Stay tuned to WTF BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Philip C. And this is WTF, or What's the Focus, our weekly recap show. So we're turning our attention to some of the major headlines that have dominated attention in Malaysia. I think we can't uh, forget or we can't avoid the what's going on this morning, namely the fact that uh, former Prime Minister Tan Sri Muhyiddin Yassin has been charged at the Kuala Lumpur High Court. Um, I think the uh, he has pleaded not guilty to the first four charges of abuse of power involving 232.5 million ringgit. He's also been slapped with additional two charges of money laundering amounting to about $195 million. So this brings in total six charges, totaling to about $430 million. He also has another charge right at the Shah Alam's court on Monday. That's right. I do wonder why it's, uh, I mean, this is probably a question that we can pose to um, a criminal lawyer or a legal uh, Mm. perspective later on as it develops. But uh, this is something that uh, has 
definitely going to be uh, causing waves throughout the political sphere. If we look at who was present this morning, I think there were a whole host of Bursatu leaders um, there at the court complex to uh, give their support to Tan Sri Muhyiddin Yassin. We saw the likes of um, uh, Datu Sri Azmin Ali. I think there was also one Saiful Wanjan who himself is facing uh, corruption charges. We see Gerakan leaders um, and also those from PAS as well, Takiuddin Hassan uh, and mm. the like. And that's why we had a conversation earlier with Dr. O. Yisan about the impact implications of uh, these charges and the broader question about selective prosecution. Um, and if you reflect on the past two, three years, Shaz, we've seen quite a few prosecutions take place here. Indeed. Uh, on on ex-AMNO, current AMNO leaders, uh, Najib Razak, uh, um, Zahid Hamidi, uh, Mohidin Yassin. So these are all, I guess, perhaps all veteran ex-AMNO leaders. Uh, and is this the process of cleansing taking place now? Yeah, I think the issue, the narrative of selective prosecution is always going to be used, right? Mm. Uh, whenever opposition is brought to a book or, or, or if court charges are pressed against them. But I do wonder what kind of impact this will have on perceptions towards Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim himself, mm. especially in the lead up to state elections, whether this uh, development will galvanize support for Perikatan National, for supporters who feel like, yes, you know, we are being, um, uh, I guess, uh, targeted because we're on the other side. Interestingly, wouldn't you argue that Anwar Ibrahim was the first victim of selective persecution as well a couple of years back? Of course, the outcome then was that he created this new party, uh, PKR, and hence this whole coalition of Pakadan Harapan. But I wonder if you look at this spate of new leaders coming through, whether or not being a martyr, being being voiced as selective persecution will embolden the party, will move forward. In the conversation with Najib Razak, did it really emboldened Amno. We clearly saw that wasn't the case. With the case of Zahid Hamidi, that hasn't really translated in electoral fortunes. And in the same case with Muhyiddin Yassin, will that translate in the upcoming six state elections? It's a, it's a fair point. And in fact, if we look at Najib Raza, I think we can uh, contrast the fortunes of UMNO as a party and Najib Raza himself as a political figure. Yeah. I think it's arguable that as a political figure, Najib Raza continues to command a large uh, su- segments of support uh, in the population. I mean, he managed to rehabilitate his image uh, coming up with the Bosco nom- 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 Yeah, Monica. Monica. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. No problem. Uh, Bosco uh, moniker and... Um, yeah, still still being quite popular among certain segments of Malaysians. Yeah, but not tested electorally yet, though. Not tested electorally, very true. So we, it will be interesting to see how this affects um, Tan Sri Muhyiddin Yassin. He is, of course, Pago MP. Once Fulwanjan is Tasik Gelugur MP. Whether more MPs will come into the uh, crosshairs, exactly, and whether he will bring other members of current cabinet into the fray, since he's already said that actually the disbursements were done by the Ministry of Finance. Guess who was the minister? Of finance then. Indeed, indeed. He has said in uh, in Parliament that uh, he will not, um, uh, how to say, he will go after friend and foe, right? It's not going to, he's not going to be selective in that yeah. sense. So that really does remain to be seen, especially given questions uh, this week over what's been happening with UMNO. The uh, Registrar of, so- of Societies um, has not deregistered UMNO or it has uh, UMNO has been given an exemption from being deregistered. I think a lot of questions come up on that as to whether you know why I think the transparency mm. needs is is needed to clarify the air. Uh, but in any case, if you want to uh, get more reactions, we did speak to um, uh, 
Dr. Wong Chin Huat. We spoke to Dr. Wong Chin Huat yesterday um, uh, regarding the middle ground and whether Anwar is pursuing political reforms at a pace fast enough to continue to build that middle ground. You can listen to that podcast. But we also spoke to Dr. Oisan earlier this morning just on what's happening with Tansri Muhyiddin Yassin and the court charges. Yeah. We have also another story coming up. I think when we shift from politics to the e- to EPF, I think everybody is talking about savings. And this week in particular with Dewan Rakyat in full speed, we see so many stories related to EPF. Of course, we start the week with EPF announcing and declaring its dividend, yeah, correct, about amounting to about 5.35% for conventional savings and 4.75% for Sharia, which was better than what people were expected, but it was lower than last year, which was at about 6.1% for conventional, 5.65% for Sharia. But what was very interesting was after the declaration of dividend, you see a whole series of very interesting ideas and concepts introduced. One, of course, was this whole concept of EPF guaranteed bank loans for those in bad financial standing uh, as announced by the Prime Minister and of course for me the interesting thing was the I Sayang proposal where I think spouses can contribute 2% of the EPF to their wives I, it's, a, it's a great move right yeah. I mean that's good to uh, reduce any kind of red tape um, in terms of being of, in terms of spouses being able to share um, their retirement savings but again it does rely on I suppose the husband taking action to do that it, it still requires yeah. um, them to, to want to do it or to remember to do it. So in, in that sense, it's not a foolproof uh, social welfare or social net mechanism. No, no, but so much focus on the EPF simply because that's where the money pot is, isn't it? And people are struggling here, especially in the middle of income. And so hence, even whether or not this EPF guaranteed bank loan is even good. I mean, mm. it's better than, of course, taking withdrawing cash straight out. But even whether this is also fiscally disciplined enough. We also must remember that those who are members of EPF, that's actually not the majority. There's a huge informal sector that's not covered by EPF. Mm. So when you think about it, what EPF, the kind of safety net that it provides, that's still limited. There's still a whole swath of the population that is not covered by this uh, social safety net. Um, and I think even looking at EPF data, uh, last Friday, the Prime Minister said that 2 million EPF member, members aged between 40 and 54 um, had less than 10,000 ringgit in their uh, account one, yeah. um, which is a pretty startling um very statistic. startling. And I think you're hearing also all these ideas about what should we do to restructure EPF. We even saw this idea float, I think, yesterday about the EPF and SOXO merging together. Of course, the question is whether there are synergies, whether it delivers the outcome benefits. That's also, I think, going to be a heated debate. So really have to watch this space very closely because you see the opposition still very defiant about the need to basically still draw cash savings in consideration that we see Raya coming up in just less than two ah, months away. And we often see how the opposition, regardless of who is in the opposition, it does seem that uh, tapping EPF funds is one of those populist initiatives to, to gather support. But whether that's good for the long run, uh, that really is, I think the consensus is no. In the long run, it's not going to be mm. good for the nation. Um, you can listen to a podcast uh, conversation that we had with Pankaj C. Kumar, business commentator. He spoke about um, uh, EPF's uh, financial performance earlier this week so check that out on our BFM app or on our website Uh, that is all the time that we have for WTF this morning it's 9.56am we're going to head into the 10am news bulletin and then after that it's over to Enterprise happy Friday everyone stay tuned BFM 89.9 What's the focus on BFM 89.9 The Business Station You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9 
the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.